episode 10 of All's Fair in Love and Film, a movie review podcast where we go through our DVD collection in alphabetical order, reviewing each one as we go. I'm Laura. And I'm Ryan. And this week we're doing a little bit of a special episode because we fell in love with Disney Pixar's Soul, directed by Pete Docter. So we're going to be covering that for the pod this week. Yeah, it's it was a absolutely stunning film to come out uh, around Christmas. Honestly, it is the film we needed for the year 2020. And while we're on the subject of hard years and hard topics, we just want to say our hearts go out to the people who are dealing with all of the awful events of the past 24 hours in the United States right now. Absolutely. I mean, as my homeland, it, it really struck hard, uh, struck home hard to me. And it, it just, I, I can't believe people are trying to make the indefensible defensible and seeing the rise of these fascistic tendencies is just so so disheartening and i really really hope that everyone can kind of wake up and uh sort their shit out really yeah history is a hard thing to live through and it's a harder thing to watch uh especially with it being ryan's home he's over here there's he he feels even more powerless in what we can do yeah but yeah uh use your voices to Say something positive, do something positive. And again, it's kind of fitting that we're covering Soul today because if there's any message to take away from this film, it's to love your life and enjoy the things you do. And I think part of that for us is standing up for what's right. And not really acting under the guise of patriotism uh, to cover up the fact that what you are in fact doing is uh, fascism and pretty much pandering to a an audience of one yeah and don't forget being apolitical is a political stance be political go out vote make sure the people you know and love vote canvas make calls use your use whatever platforms you've got to speak you know fight the good fight fight that good fight every day moving on to something a bit more relevant to the podcast yeah we uh literally uh are recording this episode the day before release so we didn't feel like we could um you know have a medium where we record our voices and put it out into the world without you know and completely ignore what's going on but that is not the this is not a political podcast that is not the point of this podcast we're here to talk about a happy soothing pixar movie soul um so to start off with, this is a really new movie, and if it wasn't really obvious from our other episodes, our movie reviews contain spoilers. Now, for films that have already been released to DVD and have been out for months and years, we don't tend to, you know, if you haven't seen it by now, just don't listen to the podcast. This one was only released, uh, it came out on Disney Plus on Christmas Day, and it's not in our DVD collection yet, we will definitely be adding it, but we wanted to, you know... We really wanted to cover this one, and we might do this more in future. We might throw in, like... Ones that we want to add to our DVD ones collection. Ones we want to add to the collection, and more recent, you know, releases, if any good theatrical releases come out in the in the next coming months in the time of COVID. And that's what we're doing today. We just really want to get our voices out there for this film. It's excellent. Um, so I wanted, I'm just going to read a little summary uh, that I got off IMDb, because it is spoiler-free, so it's... A very quick summary of the film. The plot is essentially a musician named Joe Gardner has lost his passion for music, is transported out of his body and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. It stars uh, Jamie Foxx and uh, Tina Fey in the two main roles. And we're just going to give a quick opinion without any spoilers. And then we're going to warn you when spoilers are happening. But... As we've said a couple of times already, we loved this movie. Yeah, this is this is probably one of the best uh, best Pixar films I've seen recently. I mean, and no, we are big Pixar heads. Yeah, I mean, apart from Coco, a lot of the recent Pixar films I've not really been the biggest fan of. Oh, and I did like Onward. I did quite like Onward. Yeah, I I really loved Onward as well, and Coco is still probably my favorite Pixar film. Honestly, I think this might be my second favorite Pixar film. For me, definitely my third. Yeah, it is a balm for the soul. And again, 
the message to take home from this film is appreciate your life and appreciate the everyday and I think that's a message we all needed in 2020 and if you haven't seen this film yet go and watch it yeah don't get bogged down in the plans that you have or what you think you're meant to be doing just do what just do what what feels live, right live and enjoy life and now we're gonna get into the uh kind of more nitty-gritty of your film and there will be some spoilers discussed going forwards to start it uh, us off i really really love um how cinematic this film is and how uh how amazingly artistic uh pixar's become and how masterful they've kind of um made all their light like they've really recreated light as it appears in the real world in a kind of animated medium that's just so so like stunning and really really touching like it it feels so real but it it is an animated film they've really really gone into every little detail of 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 this world and really expanded upon that and just it, it 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 the visuals and the essence of this film just really, really blew me away as a whole. Like, yeah, the balance and, and that's be- not even man- ma- uh, mentioning the story. Yeah, the balance between the kind of real world of like gritty, like New York, and the cartoonish surrealism, not just of the the U seminar, which is the um, you know, the the sort of afterlife that uh, Joe goes to and meet soul 22 that's obviously you know they've used a very high contrast of kind of color and light and sound to kind of differentiate those two worlds but even the balance of having an animated new york but still including you know cartoonish you know violence and movement and the way the characters move you know oh it's still a cartoon i can still suspend my disbelief enough for this but it's still it's it makes the story so much more real it it feels grounded it like it it looks grounded and it like the the, yeah you're right the the bits when they're like in the the great beyond and the great before oh yeah yeah. oh the seminar it it's so like they use really classic um cinematography techniques like making everything really soft around the around the edges of, of the frame just to kind of really make it ethereal like it, it's it's really just it was really masterfully done and i mean pixar is always really really good at doing stuff like this but man they just really pushed it over the edge with this film and it was it it, it made me really happy yeah it's it's a really gorgeous film and it does like we've we've praised films so far on the podcast that do a really good job of introducing you to characters and explaining who they are, what they like, what their drive is in the first scene. And this is no exception. The first time we meet Joe, he's uh, in his in his music class and, you know, the kids aren't playing very well and there's a little bit of a kind of sassy, like, he's kind of wincing because they're playing badly, but he's still encouraging them. And he, you can see his passion for music and just that small anecdote he tells about his father is all, you know, you're introduced to the concept of his family, his job, his passion for music and his personality in the first five minutes you meet him. It, it was a really cold establishing shot to begin with that just really contextualizes him and makes and warms him to the audience immediately yeah you are immediately endeared to this character even though you know pixar have done some fantastical things their their films feature talking animals and bugs and cars and toys there's nothing fantastical about this character but he's so present and so wonderful you're rooting for him right from the get-go which is amazing and then you're very quickly introduced to kind of the film's really great soundtrack as well they've got some really great um just jazz riffs and stuff he starts playing kind of in that first scene he, he's straight at the piano demonstrating to his students what jazz is and and this keeps cropping up throughout you've got throughout the film you've got joe playing you've got him remembering other people playing you've got other kind of creative people um doing things with like instruments and, and singing and things throughout the film and it's it, it's a really good like homage to this kind of music which it's beautiful it really is yeah well i mean i think apart apart uh, before this film we were we both quite like jazz but yeah 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 i like that it's you know a lot of kind of people 
of our generation and younger um, tend to think of jazz as a bit old hat. And I will say there is such thing as bad jazz. Bad jazz exists. Annoying jazz exists. But I I think it's really nice that this film, because this is something I want to talk about a bit throughout this podcast. Um, This film does a really good job of, I mean, we both watched it and we're in our, you know, mid to late 20s. And we say this is our favorite Pixar film over ones that we saw as as children. This film is a watch for adults. Adults can watch this film and love it. But I actually, I could envisage a kid loving this as well. Oh, like, absolutely. They, they use, and it's it's a way of getting kids to like learn about a new music type that they might like. You know, kids might want to listen to this soundtrack and it's like a whole new generation might be kind of in a small way be introduced to jazz where they might not have, you know, their parents might not like it or, you know, they might not have, Uh, absorbed it kind of societally otherwise and I think that's really nice and I do think that with the kind of you know the small little soul characters and the design of those and the the Jerry's and and Terry kind of being throughout it being these like very cartoonish like characters would very much appeal to kids while the film has a kind of another level that really speaks to the adult audience. I mean Pixar films do just have that like have that aspect to them where they are meant for everybody. Like it's not just, they're not just children's films. They're, they're tangible to every age. Oh, fully. But I would definitely say there's like a sliding scale. Like I would say inside out deals with some big themes, but it's very much a kid's movie. Yeah. And like, I didn't like it as much. Coco is very much like, I, I would say probably Coco appeals to younger kids more because of, you know, there's a lot of bright colors. There's a proper villain. There's all this, whereas soul is a bit more subtle than that. It doesn't have, like, a villain. It's a good story, don't get me wrong, but it is mostly a tale of themes and messages that a story has been constructed around. Yeah. And those get introduced really quickly. I mean, we have, uh, after Joe is in his um, in his class, he gets offered a job uh, to be a full-time teacher rather than just part-time. And he gets into a conversation with his mom at her shop and... It's an attitude that I think a lot of us have experienced in our real lives. And it's like, oh, now you have a real job when you're a creative person is, I think, something a lot of people have heard. You know, a creative like pursuit, especially if it doesn't come with a stable salary, is often, you know, disparaged by people who want you to have something a bit more stable. And so that's a really real attitude. And then it kind of becomes like this part introduces this theme of like people defining success in different ways. So Joe thinks that when he makes it as a musician, he'll be successful. His mum thinks that when he's got a stable job, he'll be successful. And then when we meet 22, she thinks that staying in her comfort zone, remaining comfortable and safe makes her successful. So it's, it's all about how these people define their idea of success. Their idea of success is challenged on all levels. And then they realize at the end that uh, success might mean something slightly different. Yeah, I mean, it is really, really kind of, it's nice to see that kind of encapsulated in a film that's meant for the masses that isn't just like kind of an art house kind of yeah film. It's good to see a mainstream film suggesting that, you know, the rat race or like, you know, finding your true love isn't success like it's defined it's challenging that definition of success that society might make most people think that they should adhere to yeah absolutely uh the bits with uh when he moves into um work like actually auditioning with dorothea williams uh who also voiced by angela bassett who is fucking awesome legend she she plays this role so damn well she is really good at at, at having a little bit of sass in her voice yeah i mean Um, the voice acting is great but i also love the character design oh yeah there's like a moment later on that i kind of want to talk about where she gets out of the taxi yeah yeah in the scene you do have very very cinematic movement very very cinematic um kind of framing of the camera like when he's starting to uh, like play and he kind of goes into the zone you just get these insert shots of him playing and it's just so so like it it's so engrossing and it kind of just draws you into the point where you're just only focusing on his movement and you're kind of in that zone with him 
and the the colors that they use, the blue, it just really helps to kind of stoke that mo- mood. Yeah, and really deliberately least, calming it, yeah, colors, isn't it? And really sets a, this like press uh, precedent throughout that you see throughout the rest of the film. Yeah, no, it is a gorgeous scene. I love. There's a lot of attention to detail, like you say. There's insert shots. You know, the hands are very detailed, and the keys, the keys, are like the the shadows on the keys as he's playing, and and. As I say, the the colors are deliberately like very kind of calming and like trancey, and it's like, okay, this is the place like where he is happy, content, and mellow. You know, this is his this is his dream. This is his zone, and yeah, it's a re- it's a really great scene, really great scene. And then, obviously, we get to the sequence, which is quite a fun sequence. Of Joe almost dying while on the phone a bunch of times. Yeah, well, uh, it was really cool that they just did like the side tracking shot the whole entire time. Yeah, it just followed with him so Scrolling well through the city, and then various things like you know he almost gets bricks dropped on him. He almost gets hit by several cars. He almost like runs into someone. Like things happen, and then very quickly and very like it's a split second. And he disappears down the manhole. There's a bit of a, uh, you don't see him land. You don't hear him fall. And it cuts to him being a soul. He cuts to him on the conveyor belt to the great beyond. And I just wanted to dwell on that for a second because that was a very well done, very deliberate move. Because Pixar can make you cry. They Every film that Pixar makes, if there is a moment where Pixar wants you to cry you are going to cry. It can make you cry at any point, right? It can make you sad whenever it wants and they have become very good at crafting these very emotive moments. Now, this is very deliberately designed not to be one. Even though, you know, he's fallen down a manhole and this was left a little ambiguously and I do want to discuss it in just a moment. But for all intents and purposes, Joe falls down a manhole cover and dies. And... It's not made into a kind of comedic moment, even though like in image wise and when you look at it and compare it to other children's cartoons, like, you know, a very typical slapstick like Tom and Jerry, he's fallen down a manhole cover, he goes, Whoa! and then he dies. And it's, you know, in a lot of cartoons that would be played off for kind of laughs, but it's moved past so fast that you don't have time to dwell on it and it to be sad or for it to be cartoonishly comedic. And I think that was a really, really good well-crafted moment yeah it, it works really well in the overall story and it it, it, it it's it, it kind of sets again sets this precedent throughout the whole film and it, it really works yeah and it's it's another one of those points i was talking earlier about how this film appeal not only to adults but also to children because it's got these like kind of little very cartoonish moments and it's it's kind of little moments like that that uh you know make it tangible well, not ta- I think it's the opposite actually. It may it, like it's got all this very real like you know he's passing you know New York taxis. He's passing you know men in construction garb. He's passing all these very grounded, very real things, and then it reminds you that you're watching a cartoon when he falls down a manhole cover in a kind of slapstick way. And then he's immediately this even more cartoonish-looking small blue ghost thing on a conveyor belt in the dark going to the great beyond which is a really really cool like design choice it's very very non-denominational very very non uh like it's it's kind of a religious in a lot of ways which is kind of cool yeah and i think they have multiple you know peaches from people from multiple cultures uh that he meets on the conveyor belt or going to the ambiguous great beyond and um Again, we're like, it's Joe's determination that we've already been introduced to in this character. It's his determination to be a musician and to achieve this dream of his that makes him run in the other direction and end up uh, in the story that we see him in. Um, Yeah, also another just small point. There's not a lot to say about The Great Beyond. It's really kind of evocative, beautiful, you know death metaphor and that's another thing that's like i think it's important in kids films to you know introduce death in soft ways yeah yeah i mean it it it, it's gonna sound really dark but in this way it's it's not scary it's more inviting but not in kind of a like a 
that death is more of a just a natural thing that's part of life. Yeah, that it's like not, you know, violent or threatening or scary in that way. You know, it's a fairly like oh, it's kind of it, it it's it's, it's a definitely yeah, it's not like a positive early message, but it's a I think it's done softly and kind of subtly enough that it's not it it's it's a good way of addressing that theme. Um and then we he escapes into the U seminar, which 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 they did call the Great Before at one point. Yeah, yeah, they said, "Oh, this isn't the Great Beyond. This is the Great Before." But we don't call it anymore that anymore. We've rebranded. We've rebranded, and it's now the U seminar. Yeah. Um, I do love the fact that they named everybody in this place Jerry. That was a oh, that's so good. Like, well, and then the one accountant, it's Terry. Terry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, no, yeah. that that was really enjoyable, oh, and the, the, I love the Jerry's, and I love the kind of Richard Ayode as oh Ayawade. Uh, sorry, I always I can never pronounce his last name correctly mm-hmm. but i love the fact that he's one of the jerry's because it's he makes an so on point jerry yeah just the um the really surrealist kind of imagery here it's obviously all these very soft colors but they're very bright in contrast to the real world that we've just left well it's also soft focus as well like all the like when you're looking at the periphery other than just the the center part of the screen everything is soft like like the like if you look at um when 22 and uh joe are talking like just the center of their face is soft everything else is very fuzzy very very kind of like soft it's really it's subtle but it's really really cool yeah i mean i think part of it is because the um obviously the souls have been given quite a like a youthful babyish uh design and they're these, you know, small little baby people, and like it's it's a it's a crash. It's a safe place for these baby souls. So of course, everything in there is going to be soft. And I just I love the artwork there. And then we've got the the Jerry's that are these kind of stick fluorescent fig- stick people. Yeah. And they're basically just shaped like that so that people can understand what they're meant that they're meant to be helpful people. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and. I just I really enjoy that and it was really kind of yeah. kind of cool that they were designed as just being like two-dimensional figures yeah because they're just like constructs in yeah. the in the ether rather than actual human people yeah um oh I have actually skipped a point I did want to make you know when he f- like jumps off the conveyor belt to the great beyond and starts to fall towards the U seminar yeah did you get vibes from a like a modern James Bond kind of like the James Bond intro kind of style? <laughs> oh, almost. I, it was kind of a cross between like James Bond and Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey when they kind of like go. Like, it was a little bit acid trippy like that. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, and a little bit James Bondy. Yeah, I guess yeah. like in the James Bond intros, especially. I'm thinking particularly of like the Casino Royale and like Skyfall intros in the Casino Royale one cards play a big part of the film and he falls through some cards and obviously in this film music plays quite a big part in joe's life and he falls through like some bass strings and lots of kind of musical things and it's just all these yeah it was just this very like i wouldn't be surprised if you know skyfall started playing as the as that part happened yeah yeah i I could i could definitely see that being the case Yeah. yeah and that was like quite an artsy thing that i'm sure someone at pixar had a really good time being creative about so that was cool and then we get to the youth seminar which to contrast this like very black and white landscape we um land in all these kind of this very evocative music and all these calming colors all the shapes music the tones of people's voices everything there is just calming and clear and this is when it becomes unclear to me whether or not joe is dead because he asks if he's dead and the first jerry he meets says no, your body is in a holding pattern. But then when he's in the hall getting introduced to 22, she says, what do you mean you wish you hadn't died? And Richard, Richard Iowadi's Jerry says, of course, of course he wishes that. Everybody wishes that. And so was he dead or not? 
I do think he was dead, but somehow miraculously re- was revived. Like it, that's the only point of this film that I do find kind of vague and kind of like it. It kind of seems almost incongruous, incongruous with like the rest rest of the film, like in a way. Yeah, it is because I mean I kind of understand why they did it. It's like he can't be dead because they need him to be able to come back and i think it would be a bit too morbid for a kid's film for him to pop back up out of his coffin after his family have dressed him for his funeral so he has to still be in hospital and be able to wake up well i mean but again maybe they were like he was in a coma but they did say he died well maybe maybe him going so close to like the great beyond he was that he like he wasn't dead until he went went yeah maybe they're not dead but then then when 22 is telling him about all of her previous mentors all dead (laughs) you'd have to have all of these historical figures would have had to have very convenient near-death experiences or or they were just being held off from death at a very very like or it was like the tiny bit right before they died like that one second like uh, this is all going yeah, into very, very I mean, me- me- metaphysical into it quite deeply but at the but, same time it was just like it's kind of a big like plot point that i would just enjoy if it was stitched up slightly more neatly but honestly i only picked up on that because i'm very pedantic it didn't like honestly it doesn't detract from the story in any real way apart from the ones we've just talked about yeah exactly yeah so um yeah there's oh this film has a montage yeah we love a good montage on this pod yeah when when they're going through the whole of everything and uh two montages because there is also one where joe tries to jump to earth multiple times my favorite clip in this montage being the one where he tries to grab onto another soul (laughs) and use it as a human shield to jump down it's just really funny optics because it's a baby and he's grabbing he's like operation human baby shield soul baby shield yeah yeah i mean like the way he ends up i mean to be honest this scene felt just like kind of a big lead up or well, I mean it was mainly a contextual shot to kind of like kind of set the rules of how the film worked and how oh yeah yes, definitely w- w- which which is understandable but the next scene with um Graham Norton's character Moonwind um who it's just like this really really old hippie guy <laughs> who just kind of seems to be able to astral project himself while he's in a uh while he's spinning a sign, which is a fucking wonderful, wonderful vision. Pretty much sets up everything you need to know about that character in one really, really quick, like, shot. With the exception of one thing I will say, his soul astral projected version of himself is much neater. And it's like, it's funny because he looks, you know... Much more put together, really. Much more put together. And then you meet him and he's just like kind of broken toothed crazy hair crazy eyes whereas you get none of that you get this much more like serene but funny kind of character in the uh astral kind of in the in the uh the zone kind of thing he he looks very in real life he looks like he smells <laughs> harsh uh there's another there's a joke i love in this bit it's like he introduced himself as moon wind and he's with three other hippies and they all introduce themselves as like variations on like moon and dream and wind and (laughs) yeah (laughs) i thought that was Uh, quite a good joke and they just use bongos to like kind of like beat somebody into submission yeah you gotta use bongos to it's not beating somebody into submission it's like freeing the lost souls and getting back to the human realm and getting people into meditation but the bongos are integral to it. Yeah, it, it's it's just it's a kind of a cool plot device that I mean I'm not gonna lie this is I think the first time I've ever heard Graham Norton's voice in a animated film. So that was kind of yeah that was I don't think cool. I've seen him in anything. I've only really seen him be a TV presenter. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. Um, just a bit back, just a little bit because we're uh, Moonwind obviously very shortly after meeting them and he's got this amazing pink ship which i absolutely love and the colors are just brilliant and the kind of neon edging to everything is really like it's just it's just a really cool visual this black sand and black sky and this bright ship kind of carrying them over it it's it's just visually it's great it looks so good 
Um, but just to skip back just like slightly before that, because there's a really important point um, between the Hall of Everything montage um, and the uh, and then meeting Moonwind is the, t- the Jerry's talking to Terry when Terry realizes the count is off. Now, I thought this was a really, really cool part because it introduces a quote unquote villain. Right. So Terry is very much a soft villain, whereas Pixar has, you know, again, I'm going to bring up Coco because it's my favorite one. But it has um, Ernesto de la Cruz, who is the villain. You know, there is a, a definite villain in that film, whereas Terry isn't he, you know, he's a guy doing his job and his purposes are at cross purposes to the people we're rooting for. But because the film is more focused on the themes that we're more interested in, he doesn't play a huge part in this film. But I thought his introduction is really cool because all the Jerry's are talking to him and it's these wibbly people made of light that all are nothing but nice to each other. But it's been scripted and the voice acting is just done in such a way that you can tell nobody likes Terry. Even though they're just being nice to each other. Or they it's, just find him kind of like problematic. Yeah, they find or... him annoying and it's just so good. It's all these people who are nothing but nice to each other, but you can tell it's like, oh, we don't have time for this guy. We don't like this guy. Well, I mean, or, or like, and to get him away, they just kind of pander to him. They're like, yeah, yeah Terry, you do that. Like, if you're the best at it. Go away. Yeah, exactly. That's your job and you're going to do such a good job. He's like, maybe I will. Oh, that was quite funny. Uh, you know that that was uh, voiced by a woman. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I didn't either while watching it. But according to IMDb, uh, she is the same voice actor who played uh, the grandma in Moana, which is really cool. She's also in really cool. Hunt for the Wilder People, which I haven't seen, but it's apparently meant to be really good. And she plays Topaz in Thor Ragnarok. Oh, really? That's yeah. Cool. She's the one with the with the melt stick who wants to get um oh shit yeah get him to melt everybody. Ah. Yeah, that's that's her. She's really cool. I think she's great. Um, but yeah, so they leave the U seminar by accident through Moonwind's ritual, and they fall back to Earth towards Joe's body. But Joe misses and lands in a cat, a really chubby cat, and <laughs> twenty two lands in Joe. And the cat goes to the great beyond. Oh yeah, the cat goes to the great Meow. beyond. Well, no, I don't. I think that was just the cat's soul doing because the cat runs away at the end. The cat doesn't die. Yeah, I, I think the cat's soul got a reprieve and it had a really, really weird near-death experience. I guess. Or is it a very dark joke about cats not having souls? Well, no, the, <laughs> the cat's soul clearly went to. Yeah, it was up on the conveyor belt heading towards the great beyond in a very quick, like, you know, comedic shot. That was quite good, um, and then. They so there's the whole hospital scene. They realize that they've been body swapped, and it's it's. I would say it's quite a few tropes from like your typical body swap comedies, but I'm glad they don't dwell on it too long. I mean, they double the whole "oh, I'm not used to this body" and "oh, your body is gross" kind of thing, which is in a lot of body swap comedies like Freaky Friday and like um, it's a boy girl thing and things like that. You get all of those things, but they combine it with the escape from the hospital kind of sequence so that it's not too reliant on like a big chunk of time dedicated to those tropes. So I thought that was quite good. Yeah. I mean, I will say that this kind of, this dynamic is very much the crux for most of the comedic aspects of the, like the rest of the film, I would say. Yeah. And also some of the dramatic ones as well, which I want to get into, but I do want to, um, like the next sequence when they're outside of the hospital and they're walking through New York, the visuals and the the kind of use of of the soundscape and and the kind of colors and the blurriness of everything, it does a really really good job of putting you straight into Twenty Two's head as a person who is never complete, dealt with it, well, completely overwhelmed. Oh yeah, and I thought that was really really interesting. It's like really well done um, sequence there. Yeah, as somebody who's spent time in New York, that 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 vibe does kind of encapsulate what New York is to me personally. Yeah, I just love the bit where Joe's like, "This is New York. We don't stop on the street," kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. It was good. Um, and so they 
do a few things like 22 gets to try pizza for the same time and I thought that was quite funny kind of she wants to stick to her like cynical Tina Fey personality and be like oh, it's fine but in her mind she's like oh my god it's amazing and you know she finds some like things she enjoys and, and they you know have some scrapes where she you know Joe as the cat accidentally shaves a massive chunk out of his own head. She discovers things that are wonderful about life, like hearing that student of Joe's play her trombone and the the silly things where she's like uh, laying on the on the vent with the air and doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah, m- meeting uh, meeting some of Joe's acquaintances like Des and me- yeah. Me- yeah, and kind of having to deal with the like kind of hater like hater dynamic. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just, what I really love about this sequence is just Joe is trying to tell 22 how to get through this New York and everything that he's familiar with by acting like him, but she actually does a more successful job of it by acting like herself, and that's how she, you know, finds things to enjoy and things to love, and, you know, in yeah. the terms of the film's rules, finds her spark. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's just the, the, that whole scene where she kind of, you see her like slowly becoming more used to being a person and talking to other people and finding things to love and everything like that, right up until the kind of um, going up to the scene at Joe's mom's tailor shop again. It's just, it's just this really nice, again, it's the message that this film wants to get across to everybody. It's just in, about enjoying the little things. Yeah. And all the, you know, life is the thing to enjoy you don't find things to enjoy while getting life out of the way yeah yeah exactly well i mean john lennon said it best life is what happens when you're busy making other plans i mean it's 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 just as pressing it now as it is like as it was it was then you know even more so maybe yeah even more so yeah it's it's such like my mom has always said that to me and it it does hold true it really does yeah yeah, it's... Ugh, God, this film is great. Yeah. Anyway, another scene that I kind of want to dwell on briefly is he, they, when they go to the tailor shop and ask the mum to fix the suit and she's angry with him and he's angry with her and then because Joe is the cat, he can say whatever he likes and he doesn't expect 22 to repeat the the worst thing he says, which he if he was himself, he wouldn't have said it. And then it turns out to be a good thing that he said it and that talk between the two of them of you don't understand me and her being like, yeah, but I want to protect you. And then them kind of reaching that really beautiful mutual understanding. Oh my God, it's so real. Yeah. I mean, I know I've had that conversation with my mum before. I think, I don't think there's many people out there who, who haven't and relationships with family can be difficult. And if that's not how, you know, like a lot of people don't have that family dynamic and that's fine too. But Oh, it's such a beautiful scene and it's so real and this is the point in the film where i cry the first time yeah i mean i will say this this is also the scene where it's like from a cinematic point of view it is very much um it's it relies so much on these very like you expect these shots from like live action films but so many animated films especially pixar films use these well-established um, like cinematic framing to kind of make it a lot more tangible and make it feel, yeah, I guess tangible really does sum it up, but it, it's, it's really it, like, it shows you that even animated films use the same techniques that like other, other films do. Yeah. It, it stepped out of the screen in a way, not just because it was so relatable, but also because I mean I could see that scene playing really well on stage, yeah. like it would like it's it was just about the kind of dialogue, and it's fantastically well voice acted and it's just it's just a really like really nice scene, and Joe via twenty two is able to kind of repair his relationship with his mom a little bit and twenty two you know in herself is able to see kind of you know, family and especially specifically for Joe is is part of what life is about. And it's something that maybe she could learn to love when she goes to earth herself. And yeah, it's, it's just nice. And then 
Uh, we get to the part where we re-meet Moonwind outside the, the jazz club. So where Joe's about to play his yeah. uh, set. And at this point, we're expecting to get the moment of tension with Terry that we've kind of been building up to. That he's going to pull them back to the um, to the great beyond and set his count right. But actually the moment of tension comes between... 22 and joe who have spent this whole film forming you know a close friendship because partly by you know they've been thrust together due to circumstance but then they realize you know they've got to help each other out to get through this and so the moment of tension comes there and there's a there's a chase 22 doesn't want to give up being on earth yet and she wants to find her spark on earth rather than finding at the u seminar and so she runs away and through a various series of incidents uh they end up back at the U seminar because they are then snared by Terry. Um, I don't, I didn't really take many notes on that scene. What, like, because you, you you had some thoughts on how because Terry catches them, but I can't really remember how he did yeah, it. Yeah, he pretty much um, sets up like that that chase down the hallway in the subway, and uh, as uh, Joe and the cat uh, and and uh, Joe and twenty two are running down the hall. Um, they walk through kind of a threshold kind of thing and it's just bl- oh, yeah. it, it, like it's like the blue outlined that Terry's done like he did to yeah. the uh, to the hater previously and it it kind of has that uh very kind of skyfally look kind of the the really washed out like um like a desaturated look to it and they're brought back up to the youth seminar yeah so the moment of tension isn't like caused by Terry; it's more concluded by Terry, which is quite an interesting. I I think it was a really interesting way of doing it because they introduce him as a villain, but he's not. You know, they doubt like his importance is downplayed very successfully at every turn, making the friendship between Joe and Twenty Two and their relationship and the kind of themes of the whole film the more important kind of character. Exactly. Um. And then, yeah, it turns out that 22 did find her spark while she was on Earth and and figured out that she was ready to go. But then Joe says, oh, you only got that because you were in my body. That was my dreams and... My moment. Yeah. Yeah, My moment. And he takes the Earth patch from her and goes back to play his gig. Yeah. Yeah, and and it kind of... he Once he does, he just kind of realizes that he's just it wasn't as fulfilling as he hoped because he, he spent so much time dreaming of the moment that he didn't actually like once he was in it and doing it, he didn't know really. He, he thought it would make him feel a lot different, but yeah. he, it, it, it had this exact same feeling again. He thought it would like achieving this dream once would change his life tangibly immediately in a really meaningful way. And you know, I don't want to say that he was wrong. Oh, his life is going to be exactly the same because, like, even though he did the gig, you know, he becoming a musician would change his life, and you know, he would be doing the job that he wanted to do. But it's still, you know, I think it it sums up pretty well when Dorothea says to him, "Um, well, he's like, what do I do now?" And she says, "We come back tomorrow and we do it all again." You know, even though you've achieved your achieved your uh, achieved your dream job it's still work you still have to work and you still have to live every day it doesn't suddenly miraculously get better change your life and yeah so that again very very real so real and i do want to quickly as i mentioned earlier want to talk about um dorothea and more specifically the bit where he bumps into her um, getting out of a cab earlier in the film she is a presence they managed to animate this person so well and like She's a successful musician. She's really talented. She's got this amazing presence and she kind of, you know, she's the boss. She's the boss of everyone and she's got this huge talent and everything, but they don't make her some kind of like sex icon or anything like this. She's like a plus size lady, but she dresses like an absolute queen and she just, even though she was like an animated character, she owned every room she walked into in this film. She had a presence that was just kind of, like esta- she had a establishing presence in in the, in the sense that like she like 
Yeah, you're right. She had every room that she walked into under her control. Yeah, and it's refreshing for, I mean, like, Disney and Pixar films, a lot of animated films actually do, like, quite a bad thing where the kind of, like, bigger and plus size people, not just women, like, male characters as well, um, are often cast as the villain. You look at, like, Ursula in The Little Mermaid, you look at Al and... um, not so much in Disney films, that's more in comedies. But like Al in Toy Story 2, you know, it's like fat equals bad. But then they've got this kind of larger lady who is like, oh, sh- no, she's the talent. And I thought that was pretty cool. Like, I really, yeah, I really like Dorothea. And honestly, this film could have used a bit more of Dorothea. Just saying. Yeah, no, I, I could definitely <laughs> see, I could de- definitely see where she'd fit in to it more. Um, but yeah, it, like, I did kind of think that like, the him uh, when he's on the on the train going home and he's kind of having the realization that oh like i've put so much thought into just this one moment that i just he he, he's lost and it's just so apparent and when he's playing piano in in his um in his apartment and he kind of just astral projects himself to 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 find 22 that moment is just so so like so touching and just so kind of it, it's it's kind of nice to see this this story kind of going full circle in this way because it, it it i don't know it, it's it's fulfilling in a way that a lot of other pixar films like other pixar films are but i think it does just that little bit of an extra step like yeah i mean it's pixar films are very good at stirring emotions within you you know like i said it they if they want you to cry you will cry if they want you to laugh you will laugh you know they're very good at kind of taking you through an emotional journey in their films but there's just something a bit extra in this film that i i feel like um for me at least those emotions were sort of deeper like and by taking the film full circle, as you say, they do that in a really kind of tangible way. When he starts playing, he revisits in his own mind some of the memories that he saw when he was able to show his life to 22 earlier on. And he looked on those memories at that point earlier in the film was like, my life was meaningless because he just sees himself, you know, com- conducting his the high school band and they're terrible and eating pie alone in a diner but then when he revisits those moments he remembers how proud he was to write his name as a teacher on the chalkboard for the first time and how good that pie tasted even though he was eating it in a diner by himself and realizes the beauty in those moments even though he'd written them off as meaningless earlier on in the film and I just like it's just a really beautiful again it's yeah. so relatable yeah. so relatable yeah it's it, it's it's tangible in a in, in in a way that i think anybody watching this film can kind of grasp and and really really take home like it, it's re- it's really nice uh i mean in like kind of moving on to the ending like the fact that he is able to kind of reach her again and kind of get her out of that funk and just kind of have that heart to heart while kind of bees still in the cat's body, like kind of like putting himself back in the cat's body so that she kind of can process it is just so, so touching. And the fact that he jumps in, uh, into the earth portal with her, like that was, that was just so like, so, so, ah, so hard, like heartwarming. And, but very, it felt like the story had, had completed and, it, it really really tied everything up so well that it like again pixar films are want to do but like it, it it kind of pushed that envelope out a little bit more and let's not gloss over the fact that um by giving her the earth patch back he's willing to die for her and he even says it he says no i've i've had my turn and um it's because he's realized because of 22 and because of their friendship 
the the regular old living that she was like oh maybe walking can be my purpose i'm really good at it now and leaves and watching the sky and he's like oh that's not a purpose that's regular old living and he realizes that the regular old living is the purpose yeah and then is given another chance and he's able to go and and live his life knowing that 22 is a child somewhere in the world yeah it it is really really quite it's just i i i I have not found another Pixar film like other than Coco and Ratatouille that kind of really speak to me on this visceral of a level and this Ratatouille speaks to you on this kind of level? Yeah, it <laughs> it, it, it it does in some way cuz it's like uh, no, It's a great it, movie. But, it is a great movie. Yeah, but I uh, I'll go into that when we hit R. <laughs> I'm yeah, just going to leave it at that. Several years yeah. down the line. But, yeah, but we do have Ratatouille, yeah. so <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's it is such such a good film. Uh yeah, I mean, like honestly, I I rate this film really highly. 10. Um I think I'd probably go 9. I mean, maybe it's just because it's like super fresh in my mind. We watched it um, a couple of days after Christmas, so when it like first came out on Disney Plus, yeah, and we rewatched it again this week for the podcast. So it is very fresh in my mind. But ten, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, again nine. I mean, and I just love how far like animated films have have come, and uh, like this film, like you could see every single shot that they did being done in in a in a standard you know like in a standard like live live action action film and it's just like they did so many cool film filming techniques that just really like are fucking masterful so so masterful i mean and stuff that alien versus predator 2 could really learn from not throwing any shade but kind of throwing shade (laughs) just i mean alien versus predator 2 could have learned lessons from any any, any film. film yeah but let's not go on about that we did that enough last week yes, yes. um but yeah i yeah. just want to conclude by saying this film was truly beautiful and it contains some really positive messages um that i think everyone could you know really do benefit? a little bit do a little bit within their own lives yeah yeah definitely um yeah so what are we going to be covering next week laura uh, next week we're back to our regularly scheduled programming I can't say that word it always confuses me uh, <laughs> back to our regularly scheduled programming and we are moving on to 2000's Almost Famous yeah uh, that was done by Ka- Cameron Crowe if I remember uh, directed by Cameron Crowe that is um, it's honestly one of my favorite films from my teenage years that I, I really really enjoy and i have never seen it so it should be good (laughs) well thanks for listening this uh guys yeah thanks for listening bye-bye music was potato deal by craig MacArthur. the photo used for our cover is by rodolfo clicks audio editings by ryan derosiers and this podcast was produced by laura and ryan derosiers find us on twitter at all's fair podcast on instagram at all's fair and love and film or email us at all's fair and love and film at gmail.com